0: I think the future energy business model is going to be peer-to-peer exchange of electricity, a transaction between consumers, because they will have their own uh, storage, and cars, and photovoltaics, and complementing what's happening into the wholesale. But the wholesale becoming uh, more and more marginal from a consumer point of view, because the consumer will become more and more energy independent.
1: Hello That Tech Showers and welcome to That Tech Show with me Chris Adams and Samuel Gregory who will speak to you in just a moment. This is the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. So welcome to the show, thank you for joining us once again. Sam, how are you doing? I'm okay, good morning to you. Good morning. Yes, it is morning for us. I don't know when it's morning for you listener. You might be listening to us at night, I don't know. Good morning, good evening and good night.
2: That's what they say,
1: isn't it? Yeah, there we go. They've covered all the bases. So so before we get into our nonsense, this week's show we have Lawrence Schmidt, who is the Head of Utilities and European Developments at Decibel. So that's D-C-B-E-L for those of you who want to uh, spell. (laughs) (laughs) Or spell it correctly, rather. Or spell it correctly, yeah. I think that's a play on words, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's sort of the modern way of doing things, isn't it? You've got to spell things
2: out because all the the domain names are taken now. Exactly. Or add if I on the end of something. Or just remove letters. Dot IO, yes. There you go. (laughs) Laurent is a uh, French Elon Musk of sorts. And we'll talk to him about his love for EVs and all things renewable energy. We'll be discussing Decibel's innovative home energy solution, which has the potential to solve the home energy crisis.
1: Yeah, so that's EVs, electric vehicles. I'm presuming we're going to spell it out again. I'm I'm following a theme. So, um <laughs> <laughs> he'll be taking us on a journey, well, the journey of them bringing uh, their North American solution to the Europe, UK and the European market. And so we'll get into all the operations of the startup which has currently raised an impressive 50 million dollars before it's even hit the metaphorical shelves. Very good.
2: So how are, how are you doing this week, Chris? How has your week been since we last caught up?
1: Uh, well, it's been eventful, actually, because obviously I, I think people might know now that I've got some kittens that have arrived. I've actually got two in the room right now. So if you hear some meowing, that is just going to be nonsense as they're introducing each other to uh, to, to themselves and, you know, f- play fighting and whatnot. They're doing very well integrating. But actually, one of them has had to have a, a massive operation. So I've got a tiny, tiny kitten with like a 15 centimeter scar on her back. It's horrendous. It's the most awful thing I've ever seen. but And it's cost me a bloody fortune as well. Oh, there they are. You can hear them. You get that, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was the scar about?
1: She had um, a lump on her back. And I, I wasn't aware of this. I mean, I've gone through cats before. But this this lump seems to be around the vaccine site. And cats can develop a vaccine site sarcoma. And so she had a um, a test. And it came back as sort of semi-inconclusive to the point where they recommend... We don't know what this other thing is that we've spotted in here alongside the inflammation. So you might as well whip it out and get it biopsied properly. So she's had exactly that done because, although it's extremely rare these days. You know, it's a cancer that can form as part of a, um, you know, a vaccine. And I didn't know this, but some of the vaccines they do on like the leg so that in the event that it turns into a cancer, they remove the leg. And I had no idea of this. It's horrendous. Wow, this must
2: be a new. Right, when was the last time you had cats? Uh, we we had a break for two years. Two years, but I mean, when they got vaccinated, how long ago was that? Oh, that was that would have been that would have been years ago. We're talking like ten, ten, fifteen. I'm thinking twenty. Wow. Okay. Okay. So inv- basically, advancements must have happened in the last twenty years.
1: Uh, yeah. So apparently, it's extremely rare. I mean, all of the vets that I've spoken to have generally been practicing for like anywhere between 5 and 20 years, have never really seen one in the UK. But these fellas were um, vaccinated in the uh, United Arab Emirates. So although it's more popular in America to have vaccine site sarcomas, uh, I don't know what it's like in, in the UAE. So that's my catch-up then. The catch-up? My catch-up, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Sam, so what have you been up to? There is a visual, there is a visual
2: change I've noticed. Oh yes, yes, yes. The uh, the slug has been thrown amongst the trash. Translation: I got rid of my mustache. Why,
1: why, why have you gone for the change of mustache then? You spent you spent like a month or two
2: growing that. <laughs> the listeners have been listening in to the the mustache saga. They've been hearing the ruffling of the of the mustache against the microphone's pop filter. <laughs> just like like. No, no, no. I just got bored of it. So uh, yeah, I got rid of it. So I've gone from a from a more rugged look now I'm, I'm I've got the
1: stubble going on. I'm disappointed you didn't decide to balance it out with a soul patch. I think going for the zapper would have been the uh, the the ideal.
2: Uh, yeah, his is very it consumes his entire bottom lip pretty much. I can't quite do that. My my goatee is my strongest asset amongst my facial hair features. I don't know.
1: No, I just like that it's your strongest asset in general.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing I've got going for me. <laughs> So is it coming back? Is it coming back? What, what's the plan? No, nah, no, no. I just got rid of it. For, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. I'm free and single. I can do whatever I want. You know, I can grow grow facial hair. I can not. Any any further updates other than the facial hair saga? Uh, yeah. So it's been a, it's been an eventful week for the for the company. I had a, a burst of inspiration of uh, to redo Jupiter in the Draft's website. So it's not. I mean, the new website isn't out yet. But I've just I just stayed up. Until the early hours of the morning, redesigning the website, and I think I'm really excited about the new direction I'm working with a sound designer to create a soundscape for the whole experience I'm working with a three d designer to create some three d assets and elements for the website. I think it's going to be a really cool immersive experience, but also a very simplified bit of messaging because right now we are i don't know whether everyone anyone's ever gone onto the draft website, but we are trying to appeal to more large organisations and I think you know what we don't want to go for those large organisations because they're too slow, too boring and uh they don't inspire us. So I want to kind of work with small medium companies who do want to be a bit more daring with their uh with their web based activities. So anyway, regardless uh simplified messaging a more streamlined website and a more immersive experience so i'm really looking forward to hopefully launching that by the end of the month there you go i'm setting a date on it which i hadn't done it to, until now but i'm setting a date on it end of the month
1: you've told people now and they might want to go and have a look what's the url for jupiter the giraffe we should be telling
2: the listeners mm, well jupiter dot but you can also go to jatg.co that's the that's the cool short version for people or when i'm feeling too lazy to tell people the full url anyway that's been fun very cool very cool i think there is a
1: certain sort of thing of inspiration and a a shock of inspiration that comes
2: at midnight for for developers i don't know it does for me i'm not sure about you not for me i just um i need my sleep well i I, i'm an early riser i go go to bed early i wake up really early i've already been out for a run this morning seven o'clock, half past seven. So I like to wake up early and be productive that way, but I was still coding at one o'clock.
1: <laughs> so anyway, we have Lawrence Smith on the show and it's a really great talk. So let's get into
2: that. Sure. So that's about our North American company who are bringing to market what they call a home energy station, which is a system that not only charges your electric vehicle, EV, using energy from the sun but it also allows you to feed that energy back into your home as a sort of portable battery hang on your home is a portable battery into your home as a sort
1: of portable battery oh so your car is a portable battery that makes sense because the home is not particularly
2: portable it's not not just yet unless you live in a van <laughs> their goal is to bring down the uh, price of electricity and allow you you listener to obtain energy independence. It's a fantastic innovation, and we get into all that in the episode. So we'll let Laurent himself tell all. So here is Laurent Schmidt, joining us from Paris. Mon Paris!
0: So my name is uh, Laurent Schmidt. I'm the CEO of Decibel in Europe. Uh, So Decibel is a Canadian a startup company which has been funded uh, five, six years ago, and uh, which has uh, raised uh, already several rounds of uh, capital uh, into the uh, VC space in Northern America to develop, I would say, a new product which does not exist on the market yet, which is what we to as an home energy station. Uh, so I'm going to uh, explain what is the context of this development and why we think the UK in particular is a, a very interesting environment to uh, roll out our product in the coming few months in the uh, current context of the uh, energy crisis in uh, in particular
1: so what is that energy station did you say what what type of
0: energy station so so it's an home energy station so we use the term stations through various backgrounds the first background is the uh, reference to the charging station the charging of an electrical vehicle so here what is really new is the uh, bi-directionality of your charging. So you can charge and discharge into your home. So in a way you can use your battery as a home storage. And uh, as a, I would say, as, the, as a technology to uh, optimize your uh, home energy. And the other element of station is the uh, renewable generation station in the sense that it connects directly to a uh, solar PV on your roof. And uh, it really maximized the use of your solar of, PV for both charging your car, uh, but also feed into the, um, into the loads uh, of your house. So it is really a new device which you install in your home. Uh, so, type PV close to the place where you charge, and uh, which is going to manage the uh, energy for you into your home environment and which is going to uh, basically take advantage of the uh, renewable in the grid when it is available. So there is uh, currently a lot of renewable available in the grids uh, such as wind during certain period of the day, but is also going to make sure that you do not take electricity from the grid when there is uh, not much renewable in the grid or the electricity is high from the grid, so in a way, it protects you from price spike of electricity uh, seen onto the grid side.
1: So, what actually is this device then? I mean, is it because it, it sounds like an awful lot? Actually, it sounds like you know you've got the the you know the the solar power. I haven't got any of that. Uh, you've got to have a battery. I haven't got any of that. So, it, is that what you're including in in terms of the device, or is it the, the actual management unit to be able to control all of that?
0: It is really an integrated, uh, I would say, solution. So we we cover, of course, the uh, IoT part, so the uh, technology for doing home optimization from the software and including embedding artificial intelligence for forecasting your photovoltaics, forecasting your home loads, and so on. So they, there is some element of digital uh, uh, layer into the box, but also very important, there is an element of power electronics, uh, which allows to really convert... DC uh, to AC. So as you know, the photovoltaics in the home is supplying uh, your current onto onto direct currents, as well as your car charging can charge on direct current. So it's doing a smart switching of AC and DC conversion uh, to make sure, uh, basically, you maximize the usage of your PV into your home environment, whether for charging or for managing your loads.
1: And so, how do you see this getting de- deployed in, like, the the UK? Then, for example, if you, or at least in Europe, how are we going to be u- utilizing solar in the UK? Because I, I mean, I don't know if we're set up for that really just yet.
0: <laughs> so, the, uh, we we really see uh, two main driver uh, for installing that equipment. The first one is the shift towards uh, electrical vehicle. It is a very strong wave as as you heard, uh, partly, particularly in the UK with this uh, ban of uh, thermal uh, engines uh, in cars after let's say 2025, 2030. So that means that uh, we see a significant increase of electrical vehicle, generally speaking in the UK as well as in the rest of Europe. And here the first question it raises how am I going to charge uh, this vehicle and how am I going to smartly charge this vehicle in the uh, in charging them with renewable uh, energy in priority and avoiding basically uh, carbon related uh, electricity, but also at the cheaper uh, cheapest cost as possible. So that's one of the elements. So through homeowner wishing to uh, uh, buy an electrical vehicle and make best use of his electrical vehicle for driving, but also for managing his his or her home loads. The second element which we see, in very parallel track is the uh, fast uh, acceleration, really the acceleration of photovoltaics installation. And here it is simply related to the uh, current energy crisis, where you buy your electricity uh, from your grid at a price uh, which is, I would say, in the range of uh, 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 32p uh, without tax uh, per kilowatt hour, or I would say uh, 40p per kilowatt hour, maybe it's not uh, it's not uh, an amount which which tells you much but just as to give you an idea it has increased by more than 20% in the last uh, uh, 3 months and if you compare this to the average cost of producing pv in your home it's in the range of 5 to 6p so basically whatever you can produce at the cost of 6p you avoid buying it from the grid at let's say 40p uh, so There is an immediate case in bringing PV into your home, in consuming as much as you can of your loads with PV. So that that is really the, uh, and of course, when you bring the two together, uh, you have the advantage of one side being able to charge with PV, but also charge at the cheapest possible when there is PV. And when uh, there is no PV, making sure you charge during periods uh, when the grid is filled with wind or at as uh, as low cost uh, of electricity. Sorry, what's PV? Photovoltaics, sorry for the uh, photovoltaics. So that, that is the photovoltaics which you install on your roof. And so this is basically, uh, uh, average size is around three to four kilowatts. The advantage of, of photovoltaics in your home is that it is uh, way cheaper to produce your own electricity. The disadvantage is that you produce the electricity at a time when you are very often not in the home. Huh? So it's typically producing during lunchtime. And so here the uh, the equation is to try to drive your loads and your consumption towards this period when the PV uh, when the photovoltaics or the sun is shining to make sure that you consume the, during this time and potentially you discharge your battery. In the evening, when you have uh, less photovoltaics, less sun, so it is really this energy optimization which we aim doing, which will lower the cost of electricity though to the consumer, uh, lower the bills uh, to the consumers.
2: With that, then, are you with your um, artificial intelligence system? Are you able to efficiently sell that excess energy that someone might have back to the grid and potentially make money off of that?
0: That's a very good question. That's uh, exactly, I would say, the the next step of the uh, solution is to also be able to interact with the grid, and basically uh, look at your supplier of electricity, being OVO, Octopus, or other uh, supplier in the UK, basically buying you back excess of your electricity during periods uh, which are meaningful for them. So they these suppliers are not interested to buy this excess of electricity if there is, I would say, a low consumption in the grid. And of course, uh, all of these suppliers would like to buy it in the evening during the peak time of electricity consumption. And so the interest of having this storage uh, is to be able to resell them at the right time of the day. And of course, value it at at a maximum price. So yeah, you're right in a way. Decibel allows everyone uh, to kind of trade its own electricity with the grid during period when the uh, when when the grid needs it. At the moment,
1: I think anyone who has this sort of a solution in Europe, and it may be different in, in Canada, the origin of the, the, the company, um, which I, I expect you'll enlighten us on, it seems like anyone who does have solar at home at the moment and then has maybe extended that to include the charging for their electric car, maybe they've got something going on for uh, reusing some of that energy within within the home. It, it feels like that's a little bit um, more out of interest at the moment because the, the, the price of investment to get to that difference in price, the 6p uh, per kilowatt hour in comparison to the 40p per kilowatt hour that you mentioned before, there's a huge investment cost to get to that point, right? So, you know, because it, it, it's it's not just all of the equipment you've got to be able to make that solar energy useful, as you mentioned. It's the cost of the battery. Um, it's the cost of the charger. I, I'd looked at the Tesla solar roof tiles as well when they started releasing that. Well, announced that we we're going to release them, what, four years ago or something now? Um, we've still not seen a, a single one in the UK, as far as I'm aware. You know, the, the cost of just of doing all of that is seems... I was going to say through the roof but that feels like too much of a pun um <laughs> but but um, I' rational all it anyway but the cost seems extortionate so are you are you still battling against that or is this something that you're aiming to make this into more of a consumer unit because it seems very much like it's it's, it's very high cost to to investment at the moment just for people who are interested.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's a good question. So, and we cannot uh, ignore that. Of course, it is an investment to uh, install uh, basically photovoltaics onto your roof. And especially when you add a battery to it. And that's what we would like to avoid precisely with decibel because we are making use of the car battery. I would say as, as a battery unit to uh, store and optimize your electricity cons- self consumption together with your PV. And that's how we think uh, we, we can reduce this cost. Now, if you are looking today at an average cost of uh, installing four kilowatt PV onto, um, onto a roof in the UK, I think it's, I would say, the, in the range of five to 6,000 pounds. Full installation done. That brings you back, uh, I would say, saving on your bills in the current electricity price in the, in the range between 1,000 to 1,800 um, pounds per year.
1: But that's I suppose that's still quite a high high cost investment, isn't it? I mean the, the I mean, I, I think um Sam was mentioning as well that there's government subsidies for some of these products. But I mean I I've looked into um i have done a home renovation relatively recently and I've been looking into like alternative sources. I wanted to get like a ground sourced heat pump, for example. I have sort of provision for putting solar on my uh, my garage roof. Um but the cost has been astronomical really, um, and the government subsidies had not really been there. They, 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 they look like they're there on the surface, but they're not really in practicality. So the, I think there was one for the ground source heat pump where I think it was, uh, they would give you about seven grand back over five or 10 years or something silly, but actually you've got to put the capex investment up yourself. And I don't really know who has that capex available to them you know the average person having, you know, seven grand up front to be able to to fund green energy. I mean, clearly this is the direction we're all going in, and it will happen. But I think it it, it, it that capex investment is still is still pretty high. So I mean, is there something that you are doing actively at the moment to try and make that make that cheaper in comparison to the the, the sort of existing things that you have to cobble together to get all of the functionality you're talking about?
0: Yeah. So so. We have done piece of the work into uh, combining, uh, I would say, four different boxes into one home energy station, and this reduces, I would say, out of our calculation, the installation cost as compared to once again a sort of PV with battery uh, by around uh, 20, 20, 30 percent, and that's the first step. And then what we are, while the um, EVs is going to further deploy, we are also looking at uh, having a smaller product, which then we are looking at a new financing uh, approach in order to uh, minimize the amount of upstream capex investments and go into uh, into a model which are probably more like subscription model. And where the um, uh, the consumer would have, if he, uh, the consumer is not interested into uh, investing into the installation as part of his own uh, installation, be able to kind of rent uh, the associated equipment. So these are developments which we have in sight. And in my, I think what I would like to uh, to say here is the uh, the business case uh, in the current energy crisis and with the increases of of. Uh, prices observed onto the electricity uh, supplied from the grid is is really making it uh, meaningful now and and I think that's what we also observe in the amount of installation which are which have almost doubled uh, this year uh, as compared to previous year just a consequence I would say of this uh, uh, new uh, uh, pricing environment uh, onto the kilowatt hours importing from from the grids
1: yeah i mean the um the, the, the energy crisis is becoming significantly worse i mean do do you do you foresee that trend continuing or do you, is this a is this a peak in your uh, informed opinion
0: so the uh, f- few words about what are the background reasons of that i think the uh, it's not so complicated at the end of the day uh, our electricity in uh, europe and in the uk uh, particularly is uh, is produced on the uh, on the transmission wholesale side, uh, mostly out of gas uh, gas origin, a bit of nuke, and uh, more and more renewable. and And what we've seen over the periods of winter is that the renewable was rather lower than average. So we were lacking of uh, a large amount of wind uh, on that side. The uh, restart of uh, the economy after COVID has created, I would say. A crunch into uh, um, basically uh, supplying natural gas uh, into Europe. A lot of political debate behind that, in view of the uh, position of Russia. Uh, we see it also um, in the current debate with Ukraine. Of course, where are we? Where is Europe going to source uh, its natural gas from in the coming years? Is a big question. Is is going to be imported from US and so on? And I would say, as a result, for consumer. Uh, we see the, uh, the electricity price increasing. And on the top of that, we have also seen a significant increase of the uh, cost of the carbon tax imposed uh, on two generation uh, produced from uh, fossil fuel. And so all that makes that it has really significantly increased. I think it will still continue to uh, to increase, not to the scale of what we've been observing as the immediate post-COVID uh, restarts, but generally speaking, the, um, I would say the journey we are in for decarbonization is such that uh, we'll pay uh, the source of our electricity more and more when it is carbonized because of these, um, these carbon, uh, carbon taxes and potentially less and less when it is decarbonized. And here the question will be to make sure that we consume really during period when there is PV into homes, photovoltaics into homes, or wind into the grid. And here, when there will be wind into the grid, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see really interesting uh, arbitrage to be done, even by consumer. I want to say that what I've observed on prices uh, over the last six months is not only this sharp increase of 20 30%, but also an increase in volatility, in, which has almost doubled, which, which sometimes make people uh, scared. But in reality, if you have a storage unit, and if you have your own PV, and if you are able to smartly consume, volatility can be a good news because you can actually also consume during periods where the electricity is particularly low because you have excess of uh, wind uh, during this period. So yes, it is complexity. Yes, it is changing. Uh, but technology, as decibel is coming onto the market to basically uh, be able to take advantage of this new, uh, uh, new environment. And without uh, neglecting the, uh, the carbon impact, huh? adding an EV and photovoltaics into a home is a significant step into the decarbonization. We estimate it's around 4 ton of CO2 saved per home per year. It's quite significant as compared. I don't know whether you have any um, uh, indication of, of this type of uh, measurement, but typically a home I would say in Europe, is, uh, is average um, emissions is in the range of 14 to 20 ton of CO2 per year. We would like the, um, I would say, to become net zero to be in the range of 2.5 ton. And if you make the sum of adding photovoltaics, uh, so PV, adding heat pump, and adding EV, you reach the 2.5 ton. So the good news in a way is that we have a solution on the ground existing which is able to decarbonize. So Chris, your point is right. The question is, how are we going to finance? How are we going to help maybe first energy poor people so that they can also make uh, take advantage of this? And here, subsidies, I think, are important, but also a more wealthy population and make them aware uh, that they can finance. There is finance, and there is a business case for this technology uh, now on the market. I'm talking here about, uh, Photovoltaics, maybe the case of a heat pump is a bit uh, more difficult in a way and the return is, uh, is, is a bit longer than, uh, than, than what I'm talking here.
1: I, I mean, I, can, I kind of get your point now, I suppose. It's sort of a democratization of, um, of energy, really. I understand the, the reason you, you're calling it a home energy station. Absolutely. So uh, do you have any competitors to this at the moment, to the, the other people that are looking to do this?
0: Sure. Uh, So the first competitor is Tesla and Tesla uh, Powerwalls and Tesla Charger. What what is a bit uh, strange with Tesla is that they have been very, very limited in the way they integrate their product together. And uh, Tesla does a lot of uh, innovation on the car. I am a driver of Tesla, so I I, I like the car itself. But the way it integrates with the rest of the home is is really a strange thing. a strange uh, situation, and Tesla is very firmly against using bidirectionality. So basically, making use of your back car battery uh, for the purpose of uh, uh, storing your uh, photovoltaics is is really not uh, a target for Tesla because they are aiming to sell a lot of power wall in parallel to the car. And, and you were also mentioning the tiles, uh, which is also quite uh, uh, quite a strange situation where they, they did announce a lot about tiles and which did not materialize today on the market, there is no doubt. So here, what we want to, to offer in alternate to this um, to this solution is something which is much more integrated. So everything in one box, which minimize the amount of home storage which you need and maximize the usage of your car battery. So that's really the positioning which we want to have, which we think is 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 more integrated and smarter than what Tesla is currently offering, which uh, we think is today the market leader onto this uh, onto this specific uh, topic.
1: So, so your your product does that include a battery
0: as well or or not? So, so it's a, it's an interesting question. So first, we did not want uh, to include any because we wanted to be uh, really maximising the the usage of of the car battery. And then the first lessons which we learned from the existing uh, pilot project, especially in the UK. Uh, which have done a lot of pilots. Uh, I think there is around 3,000 cars today uh, running on, on, on the streets, uh, which uh, going around in the streets and already being uh, trying vehicle-to-grid uh, functionality. And what we observed is actually there is various ways of using cars. And it's not systematic that the car is parked in your home when the solar is available. So it, it very much depends, depends on how you use your car. So here, what we would like to do is bring a solution where we maximize the uh, car uh, battery usage, where we potentially had a second car, a second electrical car for maybe more local local drive. And if required, and if we still uh, lose energy in a way uh, from photovoltaics, then we we still have the option to add a battery. But we would like this to be the last option uh, into that. And the battery could be leased, by the way, if we see that maybe uh, as a starting point, we don't need, but we observe that at a certain stage it is needed, then uh, our idea is to bring it as a a complementary services to make sure that the homeowner does not lose the value of his uh, photovoltaics.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I I, I kind of expect that you would need a battery. I mean, if I was to take my situation, my car is from 1990, so its battery is very small. And uh, as a result, that would be the one that would be parked in the garage. Uh, If I had an electric car, then, you know, if in the normal circumstances where I'm not working from home, then my standard would have been that I would be out in the car. So, it would be it would definitely be missing the, the prime time. I mean, I suppose it's a little different now where people are working from home more and more, but that would probably still mean a day or two a
0: week, maybe where I would be missing out of the sun. And so, the, your case is very interesting, uh, because the what we would do then naturally, if you if you would go to a, a supplier like Tesla, it would immediately push you, uh, try to push you a power wall of let's say. Uh, £9,000 if you have capability to to buy that and, and put and convince you and so on.
1: Well, I have to say, I have to say actually on that point, I did speak to Tesla a couple of years ago when I was doing the renovation of my house and they tried to push a power wall on me when I don't have an electric car. And I didn't have a, um, I don't have any photovoltaic cells, so they were trying to push me a power wall anyway. And I was like, well, I, I don't know how, I don't know what
0: I'm going to be doing with that. No, that was not uh, the, the sweet spot. But let's imagine you've, you've got PV and, and, and you've got interest into going into PV. Then what, what we would do on our side is first, rather than pushing you a nine thousand pound uh, power wall, what we would try to do is you can today get from a second-hand market, a Nissan Leaf as an example, uh, which costs much less than that. And the first question would be, okay, why don't you look at uh, maybe uh, electrifying your second car, if you have a second car, which you use as a standalone battery, actually the same way as a Powerwall and in a different way in the sense that, okay, I have a constraint on that second car that I don't drive during the peak time of PV. And it may be acceptable because, You don't use this uh, car as often. Of course, if you don't have space, if you are not interested and so on, then we can come and say, okay, we we put you a 10 kilowatt equivalent of a power wall together with your uh, your EV, and then uh, you can have something which is um, quite uh, uh, business as usual in a way as compared to what gets installed in terms of uh, uh, photovoltaics in a home.
1: I think that's really interesting because you're essentially saying that you can – make better use of your battery because it isn't stuck to a wall it has wheels and you can drive it around if you so wish
0: that's exactly the point
1: of course that is a much larger battery sort of in, in terms of its physical space that it takes up but um yes that's interesting isn't it as a concept
0: what, what we've also observed if, if i may add on to that is of course the, the question on battery is how is this going to be recycled uh, how is this going to um, basically make sure that we don't scrap these uh, quantity of batteries and and we were when we are exchanging with the car uh, manufacturers, what we understand is not so easy to extract uh, used battery from a car, and and I would say to uh, retrofit it into um, into a power wall or an equivalent of a power wall. And here, what we say is okay. So let's take a car maybe with with a more limited uh, autonomy, and and use it in in a different way, and and that can be a way of having also a second. A second life uh, for these uh, for these cars and, and batteries and and reduce the cost as what you were saying uh, to your point before reduce the capex required
1: the only question i have as a follow-up to that really i suppose is is there any, is there a downside to the number of charging cycles that a car battery would go through or the um or, or even you know coming to your car and finding that it's flat because you've been you know cooking something for cooking a roast dinner <laughs> You know?
0: <laughs> so, so, for sure, you need some uh, artificial intelligence and ton- some forecasting algorithm uh, to make sure that you charge and discharge in a smart manner. Uh, so, first of all, the uh, impact on the aging of the battery is secondary of, uh, in terms of scale. When you charge and discharge, you charge and discharge at the, at the scale of, let's say, five kilowatts. And when you accelerate with an EV, you accelerate at, at, at a scale of 50 to 100 kilowatts. So, you see the Basically, the constraint which you put on your car battery on discharge and, and, and charge is way more uh, when you are on the road and you accelerate or you brake than when you are using it into your home, on, home environment. So what I'm trying to say here is that uh, the first uh, experience we had with, with cars like the Nissan Leaf uh, shows that the uh, impact on the aging is really of second scale, second element and that is not uh, really visible by the driver of the car. That's what is interesting. To your point as well, very important is the. uh, if you are looking at, at the dedicated battery, you will store probably something in the range of 10, 20 kilowatt hours. Today, a car battery is at least 60, 80 kilowatt hours. So of course, if you use this battery on average, on my car, I use this battery on average 20 kilowatt hour every day. So you've got 40 kilowatt hours which you can use in being smart of uh, managing your energy around. And my house, on average, consumes 15 kilowatt hour per day. So 14 kilowatt hour means I could potentially feed my home uh, during four days. Just to be clear, I am not on a heat pump. I am on gas heating. And so that's why I'm only consuming 15 kilowatt hour per day. But that gives you the kind of magnitude which, which this uh, a reservoir, energy reservoir which is now representing by uh, EVs into the home environment.
2: So you mentioned before the call that it will be expanding in the UK and, and all the rest of it. And, and, you know, I'm looking outside right now and it's gloomy and not, <laughs> not sunny. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on why the UK, you've obviously identified the UK as being um, a prime sort of target or, or showing some sort of interest. Why do you think that is, given that we barely have any sun? Is the efficiency there? Is there just an appetite to utilize what sun that we do have? Um, just your thoughts around that, where the interest has stemmed from in the UK.
0: Yeah, so the first real uh, interest in the UK is the uh, the fact that the uh, electricity prices are going uh, very high. I think you you pay your electricity the second highest. In Europe, the first highest is Germany, and just behind is the UK. And what we see is that you have a certain threshold uh, when the price per kilowatt hour is rich, where basically there is a trigger into consumer starting to find other sources, alternatives, and so on. So that's really the first drive of, of that element. The second element which you have in the UK is, I would say, a regulatory environment, which is Quite dynamic, and um, I would say entities like Ofgem and uh, DNOs, TSO, I uh, would say National Grid, are very much incentivized uh, to develop innovation in in what they what they say integrates uh, consumer flexibility into the uh, into the system, and, and that creates an environment where there is a lot of prototyping ongoing. And if you are looking. Today, UK is the country in the world which has deployed the largest vehicle-to-grid demonstration, uh, with what I was saying, I think over uh, 3,000 cars in the streets. Uh, I would say to the credit, and um, that has nothing to do with decibel of uh, entities like uh, Kaluza, Ovo, and Octopus Energy, as an example, were really a uh, uh, kind of leaders, or even uh, uh, Eon in other business case, leaders into uh, prototyping uh, a new environment. So what we see is this combination, I would say, makes the uh, your product as the uh, startup phase of this, uh, what we call energy revolution, democratization of energy, and which we think will become business as usual, uh, we hope, in the next two, three years. I mean,
1: on, on the products as well, you mentioned DC, and I've... Um it's only just sort of come to my attention really the dc is probably the more efficient way of actually charging the vehicle right rather than the ac and how i suppose it, it that's what enables the fast charging as well right so you you're actually able to take advantage of because it, because you're doing the um, the consumption locally, is there an invert? There's no no inverter, as suppose, as it? it's going directly through. But you're able to have the inverter to make use of that within the home. Am I making sense to people here? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe you can elaborate on that and explain what I'm sort of bumbling around.
0: Yeah. So so basically <laughs> the uh, the principle is very simple: is every battery charge on DC. Right? So the the way of charging and discharging a battery if you are on the poles of the battery, is a DC direct current supply. And for photovoltaics, it's the same. Every panel supply its uh, electricity on the DC. So what you are doing right now in the current uh, charging infrastructure is you convert DC to AC on one side, and you convert inside the car back AC to DC. So what Decibel does is jump DC to DC directly. And so that's where we save efficiency in avoiding one stage of uh, conversion of uh, DC to AC. So there is some efficiency gain here, which we think are in the range of 5%, 10%. But beyond the uh, efficiency gain, you also enable uh, further functionality. And the functionality is you can really manage the bidirectionality uh, of charging and discharging with the car in an easier way. And you can also basically fast charge better into the home environment. And and so if you would have, for instance, a battery uh, together with your installation, you would be able to actually charge higher than what is your grid connection, taking advantage of what the battery itself is able to supply through your charging. So typically, rather than being in the 7 kilowatt type of charging in the home environment, our product can go as high as uh, almost 15, 16 kilowatts in a home environment, so you charge twice faster. The question is whether it's needed. And to be honest, as an EV uh, uh, veteran, uh, to be honest, it's not needed to go on to 15 kilowatts. What is needed is, if you have two cars, is to make sure that you have the, uh, the agility and flexibility to share this 15 kilowatts between the charging of your two car. And that's where the DC is also much more flexible, much more agile in using in doing smart charging from one car to the others and potentially discharging of one car into the other one. So that's, I have myself decided to move into an, a full net zero lifestyle environment. So I have now two EVs. And of course I have every day to decide which one should I charge and given the tariff, given the available PV and that becomes a calculation which is not an obvious one. And that's where the, uh, the decibel is expected to uh, do it, I would say, transparently and in an automated way uh, for the consumer, depending on how much kilometer or miles uh, she or he wants to drive in the coming day with one or the second car.
1: Uh, okay, so, I mean, you said uh, the Decibel is, what, six years old, started as a Canadian company?
0: Yeah, the first six years, we're only on doing R&D. We, are, we have really uh, patented at least five, six key innovations. And so for the moment, just to be clear, we have not launched any product yet, and we plan to launch in the next six months. So
1: that's quite a lot of uh, investment. I mean, how big is the company at this point?
0: We are today 60 employees, and again, we are venture uh, venture capital uh, uh, backed. So we have uh, raised around uh, 50 million uh, US dollars so far, and this this investment and fundraising has been made in view of the high potential of EV deployments. Bidirectional EV deployments, as well as the uh, new business model developing around solar PV self-consumption.
1: So, so you're the you're the CEO for Europe, then, right? So you've been around for how long in the company?
0: One one year and two months.
1: One year, two months. Cool. So, how does a company manage to raise fifty million dollars and get to sixty employees in six years and not have a product? <laughs>
0: It, it is a it is a good question, and I think it is the what we see happening uh, right now into the uh, electrical transportation side. And if you are looking like companies like Rivian, or these very very big companies are doing um, are doing bets into uh, into the future with their uh, new trucks and so on, and and basically they develop really breakthrough innovation, which takes time, and I think there is there is a, a significant gap between having uh, a prototype on the table and having something which can be manufactured to scales of millions. Our product has been designed to, to be manufactured as, uh, almost as a smartphone and, and scale up to millions uh, when the market will be ready. And of course, to be able to do that, you need to, uh, you need to invest upfront, And that's where I think the, uh, the American market are good in being able to raise that kind of uh, capital and so on
1: and what do you have to sort of prove back to the investors for them to be happy to keep giving you money i mean is it the uh, is it is it the, the number of prototypes that are developed or the, uh, the the number of prototypes in active use as well
0: so they they are definitely a, a very high scrutiny onto the phasing and the milestone of our developments and so basically it goes through the early stage I uh, would say more around uh, patents and basically um, proof of concepts, and uh, I would say table prototyping. I would call it that way.
1: When you say table prototyping, what do you mean? Like here is an example, right here on the table.
0: Yes, and you you see two uh, <laughs> yes. two cars, two uh, two electronic boards connecting with each other, and we inject here a current of DC, and we uh, we get out another one, and and we are able to produce uh, basically a digital inverter. And which is going to be a more more cost efficient and more energy efficient than any inverter today on the market. That's going to be the uh, the starting point of our journey. Then, of course, we have now gone through this stage, and we are now in the stage of really what I would uh, refer as the minimum viable product phase. And so we are at the phase of certifying this uh, minimum viable product and manufacturing the first. Uh, thousands in terms of uh, scales and launching these thousands into target markets, which are California and Europe, UK. And that's that's exactly where we are. So now we are into a milestone which are related to certification of the product, as well as deployment of few on-routes uh, with happy customers and so on. So how
1: many do you actually have in the field at the moment that are being
0: used? for None. None?
1: No, none for even, pro- even, even as a prototype? No. Wow.
0: Uh, no. As a prototype, we have them in labs, we have them in certification. And of course, we are really the first one to be as far as that on the US certification. And we know that there is, and the investor know that there is a significant step into going through this certification, which took us around two years, to be honest. So so, so basically we, we think we have, we have around two years of advance, at least ignoring all the patents, which we have also put to uh, to protect our IP. So how many patents have you managed to procure over the last 6 years or so? So we we did we did I think uh, put at least uh, I would say around 8-10 uh, patents which are really core around the uh, power electronics
1: global patents I presume.
0: Yes, definitely and uh, fully recognized and so that's that's where really we uh, our our technology building blocks have, have started and and also what is uh, uh, particular is we have decided to focus on the residential and home so we have decided to to deploy this technology first uh, under the market of these uh, homeowners democratization of consumers energy management and all that kind of things and which gives a certain profile to our uh, potential market as as you can imagine
1: so have have there been a number of pivots along the way? I mean, I mean, did you start did, did the I mean, obviously you've got uh, 14 months experience in this, but did the did the company start out trying to target the consumer, the home?
0: Yes, yeah, so we have uh, of course we have been uh, going through uh, different phases of testing the market, uh, testing the uh, marketing messages, going through the uh, lesson learned from various uh, pilot projects. And that's where we are. And and we want to be a direct customer uh, company. So that means we are going to market our products mostly digitally through the web. And what we've been uh, developing quite thoroughly over the past few months is what we call a network of uh, smart home installers, which will be able to uh, deploy our products, which we want across the UK, uh, starting September, and we want to have a full UK coverage as as, as close as possible as full UK coverage uh, by September. So basically, whoever phones or logs, their interest onto our website in September uh, will be able to receive an offer and have, I would say, an installer in, identify to do the entire uh, integration into the home environment.
1: So, so when did you say that you'll be start? You were expecting to do the first sort of installs then?
0: I would say la. Large scale would be around September and the first pilots would be between July and uh, and September.
1: Mm. I might be a potential pilot candidate for you there Lauren
2: <laughs> with pleasure. Do you have any like buyers at the moment or are you looking to actually put the, the product on sale?
0: yes so so that's that's a good point so we we have started to do rounds of um, interviews like yours and thank you for for your interest uh, of the product today. Where we uh, we have already identified, and, and this usually triggers a lot of question and interest by potential buyers. So we ask them to log themselves onto a website uh, as a potential reservation. And we have already, uh, I would say, more than hundreds of reservations identified uh, in the two target markets in Europe, which we have, which are UK and France but as well as uh, around uh, california and uh, and new york so these are really the area where we want to start this year for us is not the kpi is not about mass uh, deployment but about early adopter deployment phase and so we would like to reach uh, around 400 500 uh, users if possible within the end of the year which are basically which we hope will be happy users and which will become Advocate of our technologies uh, while uh, what it will uh, further deploy. Uh, through the deployment of our uh, installer network, we, we've been very happy with the feedback received uh, from a lot of these uh, photovoltaic installers about the uh, innovation around our products and around, uh, around the need, because I think a lot of these installers realize that if you have a full fledged installation, you have like five different boxes. Across your uh, wall, uh, doing all this conversion and all that kind of things, where ours is kind of a much more integrated and uh, efficient solution uh, moving forward. So we we hear a lot of positive feedback from from our installers. So so we think the market is going to be quite good for us. And and Chris, if you want one, you should uh, you should log your interest <laughs> into our website.
2: I think I will be doing that just when we finish. <laughs> That's good. I have to ask. You seem. Well equipped for this role, you were an early adopter for uh, EVs, of course, and uh, seemed very, very passionate about the product. But you've, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you've not been not been at the company too long. Where were you before before this? Uh, what was it? 14 months ago?
0: Yeah, I was uh, in a, in a domain which is uh, not completely outside this domain, which is the grid operator domain. And I was based in Brussels, and I was the head of the, an association which is managing, together with the European Commission, the evolution of the electricity market design across Europe. And here, what I learned into these environments, when I was more in a position of being a legislator, a technical legislator, what I learned is about this democratization of energy, what I learned about the need for flexibility. Uh, from a grid point of view, and I, I'm really coming with a background which, which is a, a great background. And, and I did realize the absolute need of building a new interaction uh, between a consumer and a grid operator. At that time, I was uh, working uh, particularly, for instance, with National Grid, uh, the ESO, who was looking at uh, also evolving certain elements of its uh, electricity market design. And that's where it. It's, uh, I, I found it interesting to, uh, as a new challenge, to uh, uh, leverage these new EV developments, uh, looking at anticipating these bidirectional V2G, V2H, and really try myself into a, a prosumer consumer environment because that's my passion. As, as you can see, I've been prototyping this in my home uh, for 10 years. And and I've experienced, I would say, more the practical consumer side uh, uh, through that angle. And uh, I could sh- send you a few pictures of my house. You'll see that I already have seven kilowatt PV and two EVs and, and a lot of energy management trials into this environment.
1: So, had you always been, uh, you know, did, did you start your career out in energy? Is that what, what's the path you've taken to to end up being, you know, the um, uh, a legislator and now into now into this particular role
0: so i i'm a, i'm a power system engineer by design I, i've been educated uh, as an engineer uh, in france and then i went through the route of uh, alstom and these big uh, industries went through various uh, career steps uh, ended up as the head of strategy for um, at that time was alstom grid uh, and uh, here this was really a worldwide Responsibility, That that's where I I came to know the context of a lot of different markets, especially the UK, various European markets. I also did work a lot in Asia. I did work a lot in the US. And at that time, as part of this role, I was also kind of following certain uh, startups and giving support to certain startup. And that's where I came to know five years ago, Decibel. This was before be, uh, being a legislator. And, and I was, I've always been, uh, um, I would say, amazed by the vision of the founder and owner uh, of Decibel, uh, whom I know now personally very well, so Marc-André Forget. Uh, who, is, who is definitely, for me, one of the best innovators uh, whom I know into the, uh, into the energy space. And then from there, I went into the legislator for, for five years, the reason why I moved there uh, is because I wanted to understand the other side of the coin, I would say, and understand basically how flows, uh, how energy is managed, uh, what is the rationale be, be, be behind these electricity prices, the, the crisis and all what we learn. And then after five years being a, a legislator, I, I, I found uh, my background actually uh, much more useful uh, into the uh, industry space. And because I did my uh, most of my career in large groups, and it, it has limited my amount of innovation to a certain extent. I wanted to try a new story into a, into a startup phase. My passion is really uh, finding solutions uh, for driving our world to net zero as quick as possible. And, and the reason why I, uh, I picked this technology is because I am convinced in a domain where governments are talking to each other about how can we do COP26 and all that kind of things. The solution is going to come bottom up, with down to earth solution, proving real both cost saving and carbon footprint to the savings to the environment. And I think here we are in a sweet spot of an example of a solution which exists, uh, which makes sense from an engineering point of view. Not like you know hydrogen, green hydrogen, which is now the hype on on everywhere, which I'm not. Uh, a very big fan of because because the engineering behind is a bit uh, a bit questionable and here what I want is really spend my time in maximizing the deployment of this technology because they make sense uh, both from a business uh, point of view but also from an environmental point of view. And and were
1: you always passionate about sort of electric vehicles or um, or, or solar as well particularly or have you gone through over your career have you gone through different levels of Passion for different levels of, you know, power sources.
0: So that's a good, very good question. I, I actually traveled through the journey of um, introducing renewable into the grid, and so I was passionate about wind integration uh, twenty years ago. Uh, then the solar PV came, and then I was passionate about what we call smart grids, microgrids, and all these PV consumer and so on. And then came the EV, and the EV was my passion, I would say, on the last seven years. And what I learned through this is, is the, uh, I would say, the new energy business model. That's what I would say, the new energy business model. I think the new future energy business model is going to be peer-to-peer exchange of electricity a transaction between consumers because they will have their own uh, storage and cars and photovoltaics. And complementing what's happening into the wall cell, but the wall cell becoming uh, more and more marginal from a consumer point of view because the consumer will become more and more energy independent. And, and so that's really a belief uh, which I have. And I think the economics are there. And uh, whether governments wants to restart nuke and all these things, they can. Uh, they can push. But it will end up being much more expensive uh, than photovoltaic panels on the roof and much more complicated to build uh, and to uh, to receive uh, authorization for operation.
1: Yeah. You know, most governments at the moment, I suppose, are looking at things being um, with the target of getting to sort of net zero globally, I think it's 2050, which seems awfully late and probably is going to miss things. I mean, we might be underwater by then. You, you know, do you think that, that it is going to be a consumer revolution, that it is going to come from the ground up? And are we going to be able to actually achieve net zero ahead of 2050? Or is that, uh, is that still a lofty goal that, that's just going to be missed?
0: So, so first of all, I, I think what is interesting is I've, I've lived into this leg- legislation on environment, and I did work a lot with the European Commission on trajectories on how to decarbonize Europe. And what has fascinated me through this uh, discussion is, I think on one side, government, I've been helpful in trying to identify what is needed in terms of uh, savings of uh, CO2 and so on. Uh, where they fail is having real solution and knowing where to incentivize uh, certain developments. So that, I think that was one of my frustration. And I, at some stage, I said to myself, Am I going to be helpful in reducing this carbon footprint in this position? And my response was, well, not really, because that I'm not driving any change uh, from my side. Then when I uh, switched into the decibel environment, here I, I took the bet that actually who is going to drive the change is the, the youngsters, the people who are in the streets and, and probably uh, in the age like yours, Chris, and, and who really wants, and I see it with my kids, uh, not in your age, and, and my daughter said to me, well, my friends, now when they buy a car, they buy a Tesla. They, they don't care about these. Uh, and it, it's actually, uh, Tesla is one of the only uh, manufacturer today uh, shipping cars on the market. So that's also why they are. Uh, and, and what I realized is there is a real appetite for this young generation to say, OK, You older generation have done the the crap on on, on, on (laughs) our environment, if I may say so. We need to fix it now. And and I do see, uh, I would say, people wishing and willing uh, to really reconsider ways of doing things. And uh, my bet and my hope and my sincere hope is that we are going to enable a significant share of that revolution through that uh, willingness to change. And through that willingness to invest more. So to your point about CapEx before and so on, yes, it is expensive. But what is £5,000 versus the price of your iPhone or the price of of what you buy around you for your entertainment? Yeah, that's very true. And so so that's where we need to uh, kind of come back to ground. What can we do? And and, and I think we can do quite a lot with EV and, and photovoltaics in the home environment.
1: I think it's interesting what you what you're saying about this sort of generational thing as well because I don't know how old old you you're guessing I am but I'm 35 so um, I'm aiming for, uh, for for trying to move to more green technologies. I, I still have combustion cars as it happens, and uh, as I started my career as a racing driver, I uh, have a passion for combustion cars. Although I am more passionate now about some of the EVs and how we're going to. Um, how we're going to make those faster, frankly, is my, my and last longer, which is also my concern. But my, I have a, a brother who is um, a listener of this podcast. So hello, Stefan, and he is uh, he's what twelve years younger than me. So he's in his very early twenties and um, is living in a van and has has a, a, a sort of desire to have um, photovoltaic cells on his van. You know, so he is very much going for like uh, like how can he be as as small an impact on the environment as possible you know so i do think that there is even a generational shift between sort of elder millennials like myself and uh, and and that sort of um what is it gen they're not gen y is it uh, well, i can't remember what they're called now what's the next generation a blanked Z, Z yeah, <laughs> Gen Z, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Gen Y, aren't we? That's right. Millennials, Gen Y. I confused myself. I was trying to use the alphabet and got wrapped up in it. Um, so yeah, no. I think there is a there is a huge there is a huge difference, definitely. But I mean, do you think that that target is going to be met, the twenty fifty target, or is it going to be missed, or are we going to actually beat it
0: through uh, through like consumers? <laughs> so if we if we look at the math, it is feasible to meet. But that's the good that's a good part and and that's what i learned really in the last three years i did build a lot of trajectories and roadmap but what is also clear is that it's going to be met if we do things now uh, so that that's what we uh, we need to do and what i find is uh, a bit uh, a pity in the current uh, discussion of energy crisis on one side we have to manage the uh the difficulty of energy poverty and and, and Let's be honest, our technology is not going to solve the issue of energy poverty. What we also need to keep in mind is energy poor people are not the most polluting people. They are usually constrained in their living living style environment and so on. And what we say, us in Decibel, is actually if we want to be impactful beyond this energy poverty, which we need to manage with certain incentives and so on, maybe give EVs for free to these people if I would be government, I would look at that. And then on the other side, the one who are wealthy, the one who are actually impactful to the environment, and the the one who are in the range of 20, 25 ton of CO2 emission per year, these ones should be the driver. These ones should invest. And let's be honest, 5,000 pound investment for these people, if they are convinced about the impact it has on the planet, it is not uh, so much, and and I think where we fail today, as, as generally speaking, as society, is to only look at energy poverty, energy poor. Maybe it's because they are also the voters; <laughs> they are more the voters of the politicians. While I think where we need to do the efforts is more the mid-range, higher, higher range of the population, where uh, where the impact is more to the planet, and and that's where uh, we want to. Uh, uh, to enable that change, to enable that shift with uh, with decibel. And we are convinced it can have a snowball and so accelerate through generation like yours. Uh, my kids are 25, so maybe gener- Generation Z. And it's good to see that the Generation Y is also uh, convinced about that. And I'm not saying that we need to uh, forget entirely about you know, a thermal engine for races, and so I'm not i'm not a green extremist from that point of view i think we need to uh, have our passion kind of uh, developed uh, generally speaking and so on but we need to make people aware of their impact to the environment and we need to offer them solutions against uh, mitigation of this uh, impact and so on
1: oh i mean on, on the combustion engine i mean i, I i'm a know a big fan of the smell of petrol and the smell of oil but i will happily uh i will happily forgo it if we have a planet to live on you know i think that's exactly <laughs> that's what we have to focus on and um, you mentioned very briefly as well the uh, the founder of, of decibel what's the the brief overview of the founder where did uh, where did they come from
0: so this is Marc andre forger and he has a background which is uh not very far away from me, he's, he's grown up from an engineering uh, background point of view, and and he has, I think, he has also a, a very strong legal background. Uh, he has complemented uh, from that point of view. What I find uh, really uh, interesting with Marc Andre is, is this: no, sh- he is such an innovator. He's afraid of nothing. He is afraid of no technology barrier. Is and and he keeps pushing and say, okay, and I can guarantee you that to product so to come to the stage of Decibel, where it is today, it has gone through at least dozens of uh, gates, which were really challenging one, technical gates validation. And each time we found, uh, I would say, uh, challenges, barriers. And he has been continuously looking into that direction. He has been convinced of moving into that direction. And he has unlocked these barriers with technologies. and. The, that's what I find is it is an amazing innovator point, point of view. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of a barrier. He's constantly looking at uh, removing barriers. And that's why we, we brought this, uh, this product as far as what it is today into the industrialization phase. Unfortunately, we've been hit by COVID in the last 12 months. It has been so much frustrating. But that's how it is. And, and we are going to, we hope, rebump uh, in the coming few, uh, few months.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and especially sort of pre-launch as well. I kind of quite like that. That um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, to see how this product uh, takes off, and hopefully it does. And uh, yeah, be, I, I'm curious to try it out myself and see what happens with it. Uh, have you got any final points you wanna you wanna leave us with?
0: Just wanted to uh, thank you for, uh, for your time, your interest. I very much enjoyed the, uh, the discussion. I always like interacting with uh, people who are not necessarily coming from the main, uh, same background expertise as what I am. So I very much enjoyed the interaction. So thanks a lot. and looking forward to uh, the next step of the discussion. If you want to, uh, to have a visit, virtual visit of our first installation, uh, we'll be very happy to do so uh, uh, during the summer period.
1: Oh, actually, that would be very cool. Maybe we can do a, a little live podcast. That'd be cool. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much again. Thank you. Well, what an exciting and ambitious invention. I'm surprised something like that hasn't been done before. So it was fantastic to have Lauren enlighten us and have us be part of their, uh, their mission and their, uh, their launch.
2: Yeah. So it seems it seems such a missed opportunity to not harness the power of the sun and use its energy to fuel our homes, even if it is a rarity here in the UK, as I look out the window right now.
1: it <laughs> is dull. Anyway, um, what's not dull is next week. So next week, we're proud to have on the show Nicole Smith, who is the founder and CEO of Flightographer, a homegrown startup that claims to be the Airbnb of holiday photographers. Uh, They have over 600 photographers across six continents, so an impressive feat from another powerhouse female CEO. Wonderful. Yeah, you can go and like us wherever you can find a button to click like. You can go and uh, give us a five-star review wherever you can find a place to review us and give us five stars. That's probably going to be Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us wherever you get podcasts, which you've probably already figured that out by now as you've got this far. Uh, Oh, you can actually email us at hello at thattech.show and you can go to the website which is thattech.show and uh, you can check out all of the other 50 plus episodes that we've got up on there as well okay speak to you next week okay bye